Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited Podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. Joining me is the man who I've been known to tell. Show a little faith. There's magic in the night. You ain't a beauty, but hey, you're you're all right. Oh, uh, and he's all right with me because um, he's my co-host from the left coast and the man who lives on Thunder Road. Here's Wayne Fugate. Hola, Benjamin. So for this episode, we have one of our Patreon patrons joining us. He got to pick the album. We'll uh, we'll bring that up here in just a moment. He is also the founder of the organization called We Rock Cancer, which we're going to talk about. Please welcome to the podcast, Tim Reed. Hello there, Ben. Hello, Wayne. How are you guys tonight? We're doing fantastic. All right. Also joining us, you might remember her, her from our episode about Bruce's Tunnel of Love early on in the podcast. Her last full-length record called Mint Condition sits in my record collection right next to my Spandau Ballet records and not too far from some Springsteen records. Please welcome to the podcast, Caroline Spence. Hi, thank you for the invite to be back. Absolutely. So I threw out the invite to you and to, to John Latham because you guys both did Bruce episodes and John... I think is is kind of back on the trail for touring. So I'm glad you you joined us again. This is awesome. Yeah. What what album did John do? Born in the USA. Oh, nice. Yes. Okay. Y'all have covered it all at this point after tonight. Um, <laughs> we still have a few. We still have some. We still have Got some the big ones out of the way. Yeah. yeah, the big ones, at least in my opinion. Yeah. All right. Um, Premise of our podcast, fairly simple. We talk about music, but uh, we ask the all-important question at the beginning of each episode. Wayne, what T-shirt are you wearing? I, you know what? I got the shirt a long time ago. I was saving it for the for the episode with Will Hogue, but that hasn't happened. And today, of course, uh, the sad news that Charlie Watts uh, passed away, so I'm wearing my classic Rolling Stones uh, lips logo. Okay, perfect. Yeah, we're recording this on the day of uh, sad news. So, yep. All right, uh, Tim, how about you? What T-shirt are you wearing? I am wearing the Roy Orbison Live at the Rock House T-shirt from the uh, the second record that Roy recorded in 1961. And I think we all can look into the future and know why that relates to tonight's show. <laughs> yes, we can. All right. <laughs> All right, Caroline, how about you? What uh, what T-shirt are you wearing? I just put this on this morning, not realizing the question was coming, but I'm actually wearing a T-shirt that has an illustration of the trio of Dolly Parton, Emily Harris, and Linda Ronstadt done by a Kentucky artist named Thaddeus Pasture, I think is his name. Okay. But um, yeah, so it's an illustration of those three magical artists. Love mm. it. Nice. Love it. Um Wayne has to hear me talk about Linda Ronstadt all the time on the podcast. <laughs> that was that was that was one of my discoveries about two years ago, and um, yeah, I'm every time I go to a record store, I feel like I'm buying a Linda Ronstadt record. Have y'all done a Linda episode yet? We have not. No. Oh, okay. Not. Um, I just. I'll look forward to that. I just bought <laughs> Prisoner in Disguise thinking that I didn't have it. So I now have, 
I, I now have three <laughs> copies of Prisoner in Disguise. I really need to bring a list of records for those You need to artists. get on Discog. I, I really do. Yeah. I really do. I'm, yeah. I, yeah. All right. Um, I'm... Oh, I, I had to look at my t- my shirt because I didn't remember <laughs> what I put on this morning. I'm wearing one of my social distortion t-shirts. So. I don't know how that fits in with Bruce. Um, Jersey? No. No. California? Really. No, Calif- No, it doesn't fit. All right. Cars. Um, so, so, Tim, I brought up the, uh, the We Rock Cancer. You are the, the, the founder. Kind of give us the... the, the the story of how that organization got 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 organized. Okay, sure. Uh, about three years ago, I had a brush with skin cancer out of nowhere. Although, as you know, spending any time in Florida, which is where I grew up, and and using a lot of SPF zero cocoa oil <laughs> as your primary form of skin uh, protection, kind of catches up with you after a while. So, uh, I was diagnosed with a malignant skin cancer lucky enough to be a, a military vet. So uh, got quick diagnosis and they sent me up to Walter Reed for surgery. Uh, so everything turned out great. They caught it all, but it started sowing some seeds for me, you know, about the importance of paying attention to uh, your skin, getting regular skin checks. What do people do if they don't have access to health care? Uh, so I started thinking about things like that, and, and really the push came about a year after that surgery. I reached out to some performing artist friends of mine, and I said, hey, guys, uh, I'm thinking about having a one-year cancer-free party, and I'd like you guys to come and perform. What do you think about that? And the response was, well, I think that's remarkably self-indulgent. So... Uh, <laughs> I said, and well, what, like, yes, it is. <laughs> what, I, what I meant to say is we'll also make this a fundraiser for a charity. And how about if we bring some dermatologists in and provide free skin cancer screenings for everyone that comes to the, the concert. And they're like, now you're talking. So, so we did that. We did a test run. Half the people that came to the concert took advantage of free skin cancer screenings. And half of those people that were screened, had an issue identified that required further uh, investigation. So we knew right away we were onto something. Along the way, I learned a lot about skin cancer. It's the most common form of cancer in America. It's the uh, easiest uh, form of cancer to treat if you catch it early, uh, because that's the key. And it's the only form of cancer that you can identify uh, with uh, the naked eye, in most cases, with very little um, equipment and just a visual inspection. So I said, all right, we got to bring all these things together. Uh, and we just have, have been rolling out the mission ever since. We provide free screenings at concert events. We have a lot of artist partners that we work with to um, host the screenings and be a part of our team. Uh, we, we've just started doing them at athletic events. So 10K seem to be the perfect place to do these uh, types of events. And um and now we're rolling it out to do free screenings for outdoor workers, so construction workers and landscapers that work in sun-intense environments. So that's the We Rock Cancer story. And October 2nd, we have our annual fundraising event. It's a big uh, show here in the D.C. area. So if anybody wants to come see our, our friends Pat McGee Band and Brian Dunn, who says hello, Caroline, and uh, uh, 
Laura Sigaris. Yeah, they're all uh, they'll all be performing here October second, and um, uh, we'd love for any of your your listeners or artists partners in the area to to come be a part of our family too. They could check us out at WeRockCancer.org or all the socials at WeRockCancer. That is fantastic. Um, That is a that's something that's near and dear to my heart. I lost my sister. It'll be 12 years next week to skin cancer. Um, and it would have been a simple thing as just getting checked. Um, unfortunately, she let it go too long, um, which you know developed into to, to complications. And um, I'm now super vigilant. I go once a year to the dermatologist because my kids need me. And, uh, so, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely for all the listeners, um, go, go get yourself checked out. It's super easy. It, it literally takes what a a half hour at the most. And 20 of those are waiting in the lobby. That's right. Yeah. Our screenings take about five or six minutes and you can do it with a glass of wine or a cold beer in your hand at our, at our events. So, we try to meet the people where they are, and you know, we, we try to make this as easy as possible and move a C priority for a lot of people yeah. up to a convenience that they can do right on the at the event. Yeah, and for us bald people like um, me and Wayne, always got to check that noggin because man, that's uh, that's the easiest place for us to get those patches. So, um, Wayne, when was the last time you got checked? Uh, not by by a dermatologist. I. Uh, not recently. My All barber right. always gives me a good once over. Okay. Well, go uh, go go get checked out. All right. Um so so Tim, I got I have to ask you. So how did, how did you find us? How did you find Records Revisited? Well, I guess I gave you I gave away the uh the ending there. Brian Dunn has performed at every one of our We Rock Cancer events, so he's the one that turned me on to to the show. I listened to a couple of his episodes. He gave me some advice, in fact, before coming on tonight. So Okay. Uh, I want to hear it. <laughs> what was the advice? It's, it's good. It's classic, uh, classic done. It is, um, if you pick albums like Eddie and the Cruisers, you won't be all angsty about ranking Springsteen songs on Board to Run when the time comes. So that was his advice. That, Next true. time we're doing Ace of Bass or something like that, that we can work yeah. through. <laughs> yeah. It does. He's right. It makes you a little angsty. I was a little bit anxious this afternoon, just having to make these tough decisions. It's hard. I I get it. We're we're heartless bastards <laughs> with the the scoring um, that we we came up with. I I totally get it. Um, we've been doing it long enough that really. Yeah, this one was easy for me because yeah. there's two songs that are among the best songs ever written. And then, and the, and my least favorite, I knew the minute I heard it. So, okay. All right. I don't, and there's only eight songs. So there was, wasn't too much left. All right. Well, that's true. Let's not, let's not spoiler alert yet. All right. Caroline, <laughs> what, what have you been doing for the last two years? Um, since, since we've had you on mint condition, you got to tour a little bit for, for yeah, that. So. Actually, I was realizing the night of the podcast that I recorded with y'all was yeah. the night before the album came out. So it was it a was. really great distraction um, and a wonderful way to just like be a nerd about music and not worry about, you know, what was to come. But yeah, I spent 
2019 was my busiest touring year yet. Like yet I started 2020 with a bang month on the road and then we all know the rest. So, um, it's been the longest I've ever been home since I moved to Nashville 10 years ago. It's the longest period I've ever actually been here. Um, but it's been all right. I, uh, I, right now I feel a little bit more like a gardener, full-time gardener with a part-time music career, but that's fine. I always kind of wanted to be a gardener, (laughs) but, um, I did get to record a record last year, um, despite everything, which will hopefully be out, I think in the spring of, uh, 2022. So there's that. Fantastic. Did you finish did you finish the tour with Ron Pope? That was my I was about to before everything shut down I was about to head back on the road, but yeah, so my last dates were that month with Ron, yeah. Okay. All right. We had Ron on as well. Uh, oh nice. He schooled us. Absolutely. Yeah. Schooled what us. record did he do? He picked uh Albert King's Born, Born Under, Under a, a Bad, Bad Sign. Sign. Wow. And usually, like, like, um, I tell the guests, I'm like, I'm going to put the sound clips in after, you know, in post. So I pause for a moment and then, you know, I'll, I'll introduce the song and, you know, we'll start talking. Um, so I would introduce each of the songs and I would pause for one second and then Ron would be like, so about this song, let me tell you about this song. <laughs> He really, his knowledge about music just in general is like insane. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he is a, a a nerd and a historian. Absolutely. It's my favorite type of friend. (laughs) And that's, and that's why we had such a blast on that episode because three three music nerds talking about music. So yeah, it was awesome. Um, all right, so you've got a new record coming out. Can't wait to hear that. Um, we've had a lot of your friends on as well. Yeah. I know I saw y'all did Stephanie Lambring yeah. talking about Patty Griffin. I still need to give that one um, a listen, but I think I was hanging out with her like a little before she did that, and I was like, good luck. That's a tough one. That was, that was <laughs> That's fun. a tough one. Yeah, and we've yeah. done... We've done three Patty episodes, if that nice. tells you how influential Patty is yeah. to, you know, the this generation of, of singer-songwriters. So, yeah, a lot of fun. Um, who else did we have on? Gillette? Did you have Lily? Elise Davis. Elise Davis. Elise oh, Davis. nice. That's right. Yeah, we had Elise. We had Lily on as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we're just running through, That's like, your, direct, your whole black you know, black book and director. <laughs> yeah. So I was go through my contacts, see who y'all don't know. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Uh, so let's dive into this. So Tim, tell us, tell us what record you chose for your episode. I chose Bruce Springsteen's born to run from 1975. So I'm, I'm super glad that you chose this because I feel like, Lately, people have been picking records that maybe are a little bit safe and not not going to give you a lot of anxiety. Like we just we just did we just did a Bob Dylan um, episode, and that gave me a little bit of anxiety. 
the who the who's next kind of gave me a little bit of anxiety. But when we're doing episodes about Fiona Apple or Jewel or Crowded House, I'm not really having anxiety about those. Wayne? What are you trying to say, Ben? I, uh, you know what? This, I don't you, know what I'm trying made, to say. Yeah, you made this my life. I score things when I'm just listening to them for like the first time. I can't help it. Like okay. we were doing, we were listening to records from 1976 and I was like, oh, this would be my favorite song. This would be my top score. Yeah. Yeah, and and that episode we we did all about 1976. We didn't even talk about this record, which was released in August of 75, but didn't really get cooking until 76. So um, I guess that's this 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 is a good follow up to um, to that episode, Wayne. Um, Tomorrow, the day after we're recording this episode, is the anniversary. Did you know that? Uh, yeah, I I did. Yeah. It's yeah. Pretty, pretty. Just pretty. seeing if I could uh, one up you there, Ben. <laughs> no, Sorry. I'm, 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 I'm proud. Of, I'm proud of you. Um, Thank you so much. Uh, so, commercial success peaked at number three on the Billboard 200. Um, has sold over six million copies. One of the things that I did read, though, was he did have a lot of backing from Columbia Records, like. They they did put a lot of money of promotion into in into this record. Um, was it that they believed in him, or was this kind of last ditch effort since the first two didn't didn't sell as well as I think they were hoping? I'm throwing that out to anybody. Yeah, I believe. I think it's a, it was the uh, it's the first thing. This or a combination of them. I think it was the la- this is his last chance. And I think if you read through the uh, the testimonials from the band, they knew that in the studio. You know that's why it took so long. I think Bruce knew it that it was uh, it was time to either have a hit or he was going back to freehold. Okay, or writing songs for other people. Manfred Mann would just put him yeah, on the retainer. Yeah. Yeah. Or uh, the Pointer Sisters. Oh, Patty Smith. Oh, yeah. Or the Pointer Sisters. There you go. Yeah. Blinded by the Light is Bruce's only number one song. So, and not by him. Yeah. Crazy. Um, all right. I did not listen to any of the outtakes. Did you guys listen to any of the outtakes? I did not. I'd heard the ones that were on track, but. I had to re-listen to them because they weren't particularly notable in my mind. But yeah, yeah I think yeah. you picked the right eight songs. Yeah, totally. Um, there's so there's seven outtakes from the album. The only one that I know is "Linda, Let Me Be the One." There's also "Lonely Night in the Park," "A Love So Fine," "A Night Like This." Oh, I do know J- Janie needs a shooter because that is that ended up what. Uh, being recorded by Warren Zevon and Lovers in the Cold and So Young and In Love. And most of those titles sound like Perry Como <laughs> songs, not Bruce Springsteen songs, don't they? So So Young and In Love sounds like a song that would have fit right in. Yeah, maybe. Okay. Title-wise. Um, yeah. All right. Did you guys... So there were there were nine other possible titles for the record. Did you guys look at at this? This was this I was fun. Not. This was fun research. All right. One of the rejected titles was called War and Roses. 
And that was based off of a song that did not make the final cut. All right, here here are some of the other ones. The Hungry and the Hunted. Not good. Well, that's like lyrics it. from Jungle Land. Um, <laughs> but yeah, not, not, not good. Other ones were American Summer. Pretty generic. Um, Sometimes at Night. The, they did think about naming it Jungle Land after, you know, the obvious Jungle Land song. Uh, From the Churches to the Jails. That's actually, that actually would have been cool. Um, Between Flesh and Fantasy. And that sounds more like a Billy Idol <laughs> record than it does. I mean, these are all very Springsteen titles. Like, yeah. I can hear him fighting for each of them. But Born to Run is the perfect combo of like commercial and like his artistic side. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And it's so iconic and I've lived with it almost my whole life. I just can't, I mean, hearing other things, it doesn't matter. Like at the time they may have sounded like great ideas, but this thing, this thing has legs. This is still one of the best records. Yeah. ever. I couldn't just, there's nothing, ah, there's just nothing about it that I would change. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Um, how did you guys kind of discover Born to Run? Like, or Bruce? Uh, well, uh, my brother actually came home from college on spring break and was uh, his assignment for that spring break period was to analyze the lyrics to Jungle Land. So in the house, I heard Jungle Land, nine minutes of that song, over and over again for, for about two or three days uh, before I finally went in and said, what the hell's going on? And college sounds pretty cool. So if this is what it's like, I definitely want to go. So, you know, you sit down and listen to the uh, the ballet being fought out in the alley and the opera on the turnpike, and you, you find out there might be something going on here. So that was my first exposure. Yeah. Wayne, where, where when did you discover Bruce? Um, well, I had, I had heard Born to Run on the radio, um, but obviously... I discovered him in with born in the USA and then it just, it exploded and it was a backtrack into, into this. Yeah. Caroline, how about you? You probably already shared um, it on the last episode we did, but I don't probably, remember. I, uh, I'm a little bit of a later spring scene fan. I, um, it was definitely like a more of my parents music that I rebelled against because your parents can't have good ideas when you're young. Right. Um, so I'm sure I heard it um, as a young person. I actually have my dad's copy of the vinyl record that has his like name on it because he obviously felt like he needed to make sure that no one took it from him. Um, but yeah, mine was maybe like five or so years ago, six or seven years ago, I don't know, when I was sort of falling in love with his songwriting. And I fell in love with his like very singer-songwriting material and the anthemic stuff sort of came later to me. Um, maybe after the live show. Uh, and so Born to Run, my my uh, admiration for it was there. But after seeing it live, it was like, this is the lifeblood of the thing that I love. Yeah. All right. So what what version of the album cover do you have? I think it's the, st- I mean, I could probably pull it out. I'm pretty sure it's the normal one with him on the front. Okay. And then, yeah, it's that. Okay. Yeah. Is is John Landau's name spelled correctly on the back? <laughs> you guys discuss amongst themselves. I'm about three feet from my record <laughs> okay. collection. Okay. <laughs> Hold on. 
<laughs> mine is spelled correctly. There's no sticker on mine. The, all right. So I have I have two different versions of it. Um, the one version that I have is one of the early pressings, and the stupid idiot who owned it before me actually um, wrote in pen over the H of John <laughs> because that in subsequent pressings they did spell his name correctly or there is a sticker on the john so that it's spelled j-o-n which is the correct spelling i do have a j-o-n record i do all right i have and and that's probably the dumbest reason that i've ever bought a record was because it it did have the h in it so anyways oh no my boyfriend who does record buying for a record store yeah. uh does it i would disagree with that being a dumb okay. reason <laughs> All right. All right. All right. absolutely that's a great reason okay. all right anything else we want to talk about oh i do want to bring up the fact that um that uh you know, we we talk a lot about the Rolling Stone 500 greatest albums of all time. So, Born to Run in the 2020 list is now number 21. It was 18 in the 2012 list, so it lost a few lost a few uh, rankings here. Um, there are five Bruce records on the on the 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 500. What do you think is the second highest ranking outside of Born to Run? Darkness. It is darkness. Nebraska. Oh, it is. Okay, I was yeah. maybe Nebraska. Number number ninety one. Um, it was a hundred and fifty on the twenty twelve list. So, darkness has gotten a little extra traction. Uh, Born in the USA is now number one forty two. It was eighty six on the twenty twelve list. Nebraska also jumped up. It's now 150. Uh, was 226 in the wow. It's um, a big upgrade. And I, and I was just listening to the 2021 version of Nebraska um, before we started recording. What is new about the 2021 version? So um, I, I keep saying this to Wayne because I'm trying to get him to listen to it. So the new killers record did they add horns um no but the new killers record is um pretty much brandon flowers nebraska uh and it's and it's fantastic so i'm i think it's fantastic i've listened to it like once a day for since it's come out i think it's really special yeah it's really special it's a it's a record you need time with i think and i think comparing it People, well, I think you saying it, it's his Nebraska is great. People comparing it too directly to Springsteen, I think, undermines how much work he's actually no, doing as an artist. It's so good. But if you love Springsteen, you're going to love this, I think. I, I, I totally agree. And I will say this. So the Spotify version, they interspersed it with like different clips from some NPR mm-hmm. thing that they did. The vinyl does not include those clips. So I love the vinyl even more because of that fact. So, all right. That's my endorsement for Brandon Flowers. And, oh, by the way, um, Wayne, our buddy Dave Kooning is back on 
back in the band. I saw, I, I, I saw that, so, yeah. Anyways, love that. All right, uh, let's jump into this. So as a reminder, scoring is based off of number of songs on the record. Wayne, how many songs on this one? Only eight. Which means our top song is going to get eight points. Next favorite song, seven points on down to lowest score of one. So we're going to kick this off with Thunder Road. So I, I have the I have the uh, the beauty of seeing everybody's scores in advance. So Tim, get us get us started <laughs> on Thunder Road. All right. So disclaimer, E Street Nation, believe me. The, <laughs> there's uh there's four eights and there's four sevens on this record, but I had my must conform, so here we go. I can't wait to be added. <laughs> it's a really tough one. Um, well, if it's okay, I'll mention a couple things first in that in some of the original track listing for the record, there was a thought that Bruce would start the record with an acoustic version of Thunder Road, and then the record would end with a full band version of Thunder Road. One of the things about this particular selection for the very first song on this record is why is Thunder Road the, the first track? Why does this kick things off? When you might say, put Born to Run on there and let's let's rock, right? And then Bruce has explained over time that, you know, he, he wanted Thunder Road to serve as the invitation to things that might come and what might lie in front of you. This is the invitation to go on the exploration. So I think that makes sense with the way that it's placed and the way that it sounds. And the other thing is he considers this record one day in anywhere, right? It happens to be a day in where it is, New Jersey, or but it could be a day anywhere that any of us grew up. These feelings are universal, I think, and this feeling in Thunder Road where uh, I, which I think is very interesting, this is not a we song or an us song, this is a, an I song. I'm going to go over to your house, and I'm going to give my very best pitch with the very limited uh, uh a CV that I have to offer you and try and persuade you to come take this chance with me. And the cinematic nature of this song is breathtaking. You know, when you when you look at the lyrics, it reads like a movie script, right? The screen door slams. Do I have your attention? Mary's dress sways. You can see the whole stage being set. Uh, like a vision, she dances across the porch. And there's a radio playing, by the way, too. You know, and it's Roy Orbison action. Yeah. And it's just a beautiful way to start that record. And so those are those are my initial thoughts. I think every single track that we're going to talk about talks about loneliness and desperation and how those two things drive you to one thing. And that is escape. You can find it in every single track on this record. And Thunder Road lays it right out there from start to finish. That that's that's the that's the journey that we're going to go on together. Love it. Tim, 
great, 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 well, great setup. Usually, I, I reserve those um, those uh, you know eloquent uh, dissertations to Wayne. But Wayne, I think he he stole my th- he stole all my thunder. Like I say, one of the things I love about because Bruce Springsteen is a storyteller as a songwriter. There's no he doesn't use a lot of allegory. So this is maybe there's a message or something. But this is about the I mean the hunger like in these two individuals is particularly the protagonist, uh, the male protagonist in, in a couple of these songs, but he like, like, uh, Tim had alluded to, he leaves some of these, he leaves some details out. So this could be anywhere. He doesn't discuss, there's no mention of the river or the tunnel or Jersey or the city. It could be anywhere. He doesn't mention much about the girl or the guy or, you know, is he older? Is he from the wrong side of the tracks? It's very, it's not necessarily generic, but he doesn't focus on those parts. What the the main focus is the way this guy feels, and this and like I say, it's an absolutely a pitch to Mary to get her to get in the car, uh, and he does it. it it's just, it does it so well. Yeah. All right, Caroline, do you want to do you want to add anything? I'll just say I think one of my favorite Springsteen lyrical sections is in this song which is you can hide neath your covers and study your pain make crosses from your lovers throw roses in the rain i just i mean there's a lot of stuff that follows but just those that cluster of words is top five maybe top three in the things i love about bruce springsteen where everything else is sort of this intro this theatrical setup and then it's just straight to the heart (laughs) right when you least expect it and um yeah, I just completely love that passage in this song. Yeah, and and the the two the two lines right after that mm-hmm. is waste your summer praying in vain for a savior to rise from these streets. I'm like, yeah. dang. It's, it's, so well, it's just like you could feel My sorry for section is yeah. there were ghosts. Sorry. <laughs> I was going to no. say it's just you could feel sorry for yourselves or you could be the hero yourself. So that's why I'm at your doorstep, Mary. I'm, I'm, you know, I ripped off the covers and I'm here. I'm going to be the hero. It's just great. And I love that there's the line about, uh, you ain't a beauty, but you're all right, which sounds like a knock on her. But it, right, not very long after that, he says, look, I'm no yeah, hero. Exactly. Like, there's nothing. All I got is what, you know, this dirty car to offer you. I'm not, I'm not, I'm no better. Like, we're just ordinary. Yeah, we're not kids. in the movies. Yeah. Where there's nothing special about us. Yeah. We should mention, Ben, probably that there's been a lot of talk in East Street Nation lately about whether it's Mary's dress sways or Mary's dress waves, because the uh, the lyric sheet in the record actually does say waves. Okay. Um, and and Bruce made some news last week at the uh, Broadway show when he sang Thunder Road by saying Mary's dress sways, and then he paused, and then he said sways a second time. <laughs> So he's he's made it clear, and apparently wow. Landau has come out and said that's that's a typo that's existed for forty five years now, and we're going to get it fixed. Honestly, so. that makes me so happy. That <laughs> genuinely makes me so happy because I always thought sways was a better word. Like yeah. it's it's the best word for the passage, you know. I think that makes me feel better. Landau's comment was: dresses don't know how to wave. Of course, it sways. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So oh, I that's, love that's the big that. news on on liner notes, that's and that great. just tells you how rabid the fans are when you're getting excited about a word, one word, 
One lyric. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Love it. All right. Um, this is this is my top score. Tim? It's an eight. Okay. Wayne? Uh, this is a seven, but this song sets the hooks in, and not just for this record, but for any like anything this guy is going to write. I mean, it. He, he has me right, right here. Caroline? I had such a hard time with this, you guys. I just really... This has made me question why I love Bruce, what it is that matters to me. I don't know. I had a really hard time with this record separating the live show from the record. I get it. And because of that, it is a six, so it is my third. But it's... will you find me in the karaoke bar singing it? Yes, you will. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but it is a six. It's it's all good. It's all good. All right. Yeah, um, it's so hard. Next song, 10th Avenue Freeze Out. about how the E Street Band got together, right? Well, even just more specifically to this point, um, I think, because Steve Van Zant is not in the band till they go on tour and he joins them, but he arranged the horns in this. This is Max Weinberg's first, uh, first record with the E Street Band. Obviously, the day Clarence Clemens joined the band is, is it, 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 you can tell just from the way it's mentioned that that is some, that is a, inspirational moment in Bruce. He holds that moment in a very high esteem because that's really the only specific, I mean, there's a lot of general um, by the sea or coastline to the big city. There's references to their, to their humble beginnings in Jersey, but um, there's also, it has so much swagger, but it also acknowledges that this is it. Like um, what's the line about? And I got my back to the wall and there's even a line in there about a kid, kid time to get the picture like the label is putting pressure on him he's had two failed records and you can't just continue to have failed records and do this so but even among that he's it's so funky and so confident like he knows he's going to pull this off i think is the is what i love most about the song is he's he if anybody else doubts him he does not doubt himself okay i like it you guys realize that this was a single didn't, didn't, Interesting choice. Didn't chart well. Number eighty-three. I and I, I had the same. I had the same thoughts, Wayne. Yeah. Interesting choice for single, but all right, that's cool. I did not know this until today. The reference to Bad Scooter searching for his groove. Yeah. That's Bruce. That's right. That's pseudonym. Yes, Bruce Springsteen. I Ooh. did not realize that. All right, that's cool stuff. Tim, what do you got on? 10th Avenue freeze out. As Caroline said, you know, it, it, when you've seen him a lot of times, it's hard to uh, disassociate the record from the live performance. This is certainly one of those songs where there are so many ways that you can and they have taken this performance. Um, it is an amazing live song. In fact, after Clarence and, and Danny Federici had passed away, you know, they they use this song as the centerpiece of not only the story of the band, but uh, to make the statement that if you are here and we're here, 
than they're here. So this was really the, you know, the the family of the E Street Band kind of moment of the song. So that resonates with me. If if I set that the, the memories of the, those experiences aside, though, you know, I I love the sax as rhythm in this throughout the boom, boom, and it doesn't stop. It's not once or twice. Clarence is doing that through the entire thing. So I think that's very a very cool way to build up um, that intensity of the rhythm section throughout until the climax and uh, the Clarence vocal that Wayne mentioned when he says, you know, he he's the voice of authority saying, uh, kid, you better get the picture uh, because this is this really is it. You know, this is where we're headed. What's it going to be? So, uh, you know, th- those are my thoughts on, on that. Again, loneliness. I'm all alone. You know, this theme of the record. I'm all alone. He, he doesn't even hide it now. He screams it. He's not going home alone like he was in Thunder Road. He is all alone and he can't fi- and he can't go home. Uh, you know, in this track. So uh, I love all that. I I love the way that it's structured. And I love the fact to this day that Bruce says he has no idea what 10th Avenue freeze out is. So, but just like, (laughs) but I mean, just, it's a combination of words that is so, cause it does create an image. Like to me, especially knowing the story of where he is, I mean, 10th Avenue gives you definitely a big city, kind of a New York feel. And then freeze out like they're, they're trying to keep me out They're, I mean, but they can't, there's no way they're going to stop me. There's no way they're going to box me out and freeze me out of this. I'm going to succeed. And one of the, my favorite parts of this song in context to that is the, uh, from a tenement window, a transistor plays turn around the corner. Things got real quiet, real fast. Like he's not on the radio and that's where he needs to be. I, I meant to, um, I meant to look, earlier to see what the address was for the Columbia Records um, location in New York to see if maybe that was on 10th Avenue, but I, I didn't do it. Well, I think it refers to their uh, rehearsal space. Was it David Sanchez's mother or another family member's home okay. um, in or near Freehold? And it was at the corner of 10th Avenue and East Street. And so that's where they first did their band practices. Okay. So I think that's the reference. All right. All right. Anything else? We good? I feel like y'all, yeah, y'all covered it. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, scores. Tim, what you got? This is my 4.9. <laughs> All good. Uh, Caroline. I also did a four. It it sounds so harsh, but like you said, it's a bunch of eights and sevens that we have to rank. But yeah, this is my four. Yeah, Wayne. Six. I love. I just love the swagger. Like he's he's he is the boss, and he, just because no one knows it yet, he still is. Okay. Excellent. This is my four. All right. Which brings us to night. MVP for this song for me is Gary Talent on the bass. That's all I got for notes. Well, night is, uh, you know, this goes back to growing up near the swamps of Florida. Uh, again, my older brother was a, a, a drag racer, not at any drag strip, but on some deserted development street. 
Uh, and I remember going out to some of those uh, those races, and that's what night sounds like to me. This is American graffiti, dropping the handkerchief or hands or whatever, and from go, this song hits you right in the face. This is pedal to the metal, let's go. You know, right right from uh, the start of the song, it's in your face. It's a great live opener when the lights go out and you start you hear this is the first thing you hear the street band play live it's uh it's fantastic it tells you tonight's going to be all business the the irony of uh, the boss man's giving you hell line is not lost on me from a a man who's always said he'd been called the boss but doesn't particularly like it according to him so uh, to relate to the boss man in in this tune is uh is pretty interestingly crafted um, I love that the sax hit you right out front. Uh, Caroline could probably help me more because I'm not uh, as as tuned into minor and major key changes. But throughout this record, I think I don't know if there's one now that I think of it. A lyric chorus on the whole record. Is there a traditional lyric verse I mean, chorus verse? Because uh, out is kind is pretty hooky in that way and that's a really great question actually now i'm like is there (laughs) i know there's not a there's no chorus on thunder road so i I think the key changes on night serve as kind of the structure um so yeah i'm not sure there's a traditional there might be some musical structure choruses but yeah the repetition of she's the one and the repetition of tenth avenue freeze out but it's really just like repeating the one line wow i've never actually realized that because like you said everything else is working to keep you engaged you don't need the traditional structure yeah so adding an instrument as you go and every you know verse that we build and we build and we build that that serves as that traditional structure where you don't have to revert back and forth i think so that's that's also on full display here at night it's it's a story i hate working nine to five and uh the only reason i'm doing it is to get off work and go out into the night and you know we we work to service during the day and we we live to play at night that's it that's it caroline anything on night no nothing to add really because my ranking was uh okay yeah mm-hmm. all right, all right. <laughs> it's it's okay i'm 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 matching your one on this this is my least favorite song on the record yeah um still like it but it's yeah of course yeah. i like it wayne anything on night you know what i i think at this point i've i've realized that there's not a lot of guitar in this record and that and i looked at it and he's the only one who plays guitar and he's not he's not a a shredder he's not the lead guy um so there's a much more piano driven but as far as cars and young and hungry goes he does that on here better than he does it here okay on the on other songs on agreed this feels like a part of the canon but not the strongest story in that canon yeah that's how i feel all right wayne what was your score a three and then tim three Okay. All right. Next song, Backstreets.
Caroline, I'm just going to throw it over to you. You had the highest score out of all of us for this. Yeah, one. this was one I really, I did not expect to rank as my second highest. I did not expect that when I was, you know, just sort of, you know, playing this album through my head when you guys asked me to do this. But I sat down to listen to it, and I, I got to say, it just hits at the most perfect point in the album. It is, in my opinion, it is just perfectly sequenced. In that way, I think it gives you that lift. And this was definitely one where it was really hard for me to separate my experience with it live, where this song live, it just feels like, I don't know, such an anthem for the fan. Like the forums online are called the Backstreets. The Backstreets have this like lore of like, that's the place where like the misunderstood go and that's where the fans are. And it just feels like, you know, when we think about sort of the Springsteen canon and all of the kind of language that he's developed, like the back streets are this like place that he's made feel tangible and special. And it's such an important scene within the like kind of uh, play that he's writing on this album. Like it's such an important location uh, as it relates to other parts of the album. And when the band comes in on that song, it's just the best feeling. And I didn't expect to have the intro for this get me more kind of hyped up than the intro for Thunder Road. But I listened like twice through and I was like, no, nope, I'm sorry. Backstreets gets me more excited to hear yeah. the rest of the song. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, a little bit of a longer intro that the song does clock in at six and a half minutes. Yeah, it's. It's not the longest song on the record. We'll we'll get to that one shortly. Um, uh, so I have to throw this out because one of one of the things that I read was a theory about who Terry was. Mm. Did 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 you guys read this from? I read a couple. What I like. One of the things I like about the song is it's not specific. When yeah. you, it's and I and I mean he can change that. He wrote the song, so it's he's the only one who can say that it's a man or a woman. And apparently he said it's a woman in, in live shows. But I mean, that's one of the cool parts of this song is it, when you read it and you, and you're listening to it, is this his friend? Is this his childhood friend um, that he runs the back streets and gets in trouble with? Or is this the girl he snuck out her window and they're running the back streets? It doesn't. And Terry is completely ambiguous. I mean, he, he may have decided later on, but at this point he leaves it a complete mystery. And I think that's part of uh, it. That's part of the cool. The, that's super cool. That's just cool. Yeah. yeah. He was, he was very late to the uh, video revolution and uh, late to MTV when a lot of other bands were going that route. And one of the reasons that he cited for that was he wants the song to appear internally to you as however you vision it he wants you to see mary and the front porch and he wants you to pick your back streets when he's singing this song and terry can be whoever you you think it is it's much more important for that internal construct to him than for him to say no you got it wrong this is exactly how you should see it uh, so i think that that's an important part of his choice here yeah yeah th th there were there's plenty of theories out there about you know Terry being being a dude and this is a you know homosexual relationship um one of one of them I I highlighted on here uh one 
one critic, um, what's his name, uh, William Ruhlman from All Music, said that the implication is strengthened by the reference to Valentino drag in the third verse. That I don't, Terry is... That seems like reaching. But yeah. I, and I never felt that it was... I never... I mean, I always thought it was a, a man. It does feel like a friendship, like a strong friendship. Um, and I thought he got killed in the verse right after the we sat with the last of the Duke Street Kings. It feels very gang-related, robbery-type thing. And so I thought... I my interpretation was Terry got killed and then the rest of the song but once again there's no that's not specific there's no way did he leave did he you know there's you don't know I think that's part of the brilliance of the song yeah Terry is mentioned as a friend twice never mentioned as a lover so that again leaves it open to you to to decide that you know is this a song of betrayal where Terry goes away or is it as Wayne suggests that this might be, uh, you know, someone losing their life. There's so so many ways you can go with it as a testament to this song, I think. All sorts of ambiguity. Way to go, Bruce. Uh, There's another interesting line where he uses tramps, which I don't think is as, as recognized as one of his other uses of the word tramps on this record. Yeah. But <laughs> it is interesting. The uh, You're like an angel on my chest, just another tramp of hearts. And, you know, the, uh, such a fascinating choice of a word, tramp, you know, when you think of what is a, what is a tramp? And a He's tramp speaking of from a place. Of- yeah, a tramp of hearts, meaning like it's substituting for the word like king or queen, sort of potentially where it's like elevating the tramp to that status too, where it's like he already does that, you know. And angels on, on, his, on his chest is the part that made me feel like Terry died. Yeah. Okay. Love it. And there are 18 repetitions of Backstreets at the end of the song, which is... Yeah, this was the first time that I realized what you were saying is that there are no choruses. He uses the the title of the song maybe at the end of a verse or something, and it's repeated, but it's never in that, what the conventional use of a, yeah. of a chorus. Well, I think about, I reference this all the time when I'm writing with other people or just like in my own stuff. There's a Springsteen quote where you either put the blues in the verse and the gospel in the chorus or the gospel in the verse and the blues in the chorus, where it's like, if you've got a busy verse, then you're repeating backstreets 18 times because you've already done your gospel. You've got your blues where you just repeat it and repeat it. And it's the repetition that like gives it meaning. And I think about that all the time. Like that's one of my like songwriting things that I hold up constantly. And I think this is a great uh, example of that. I think that's a great, great, observation and again i hate to keep going back to the live show but remember that's where this band has come from right yeah he's been doing 200 live shows of high intensity uh and thinking about how's this song gonna play out on stage what's gonna happen and when you go to a springsteen show it's like going to church right so this is almost like a preacher taking you into a trance hiding on the back streets hiding on the back streets hiding on the back streets you know that repetition takes the whole thing to and i think that's why i ranked it so high because to be that being in that environment and hearing that like you learn this i don't know i just feel like i know the meaning more and i'm like oh terry who it doesn't matter i'm here for the 18 back streets at the end i don't know (laughs) Does, does yeah. he ever mix it up? Does he do more or less than the 18 at the end? I mean, I'm just I, curious I, if I, he does like Wilco with Misunderstood where they do nothing, nothing. Um, 
because I'm first looking I've, up because I'm sure he's done like 57 or whatever. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Because right. I've 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 heard Wilco. So the long the the most I've I've heard the nothings was like 26 at one it on. Oh on yeah. One show. Yeah. So <laughs> that's magical too. All right. Um, I didn't get scores yet. So Caroline, your score on Backstreets? Uh, was seven. Tim. Five point nine. Uh, four. <laughs> uh, this is my five as well. All right, time to flip over the record. Title track: Born to Run. was his first top 40 hit peaked at number 23 on the billboard hot 100 and 75 um or 76 i guess i should have looked at when it when it peaked thing that i just found out today the the lead singer of the hollies alan clark recorded a version of this um and it almost got released as a single prior to Bruce's getting released as a single. Huh. That would have been interesting. All right. I, I wonder if that would have changed the trajectory. Um, Clark said this in an interview. Um, he got a copy of the, the demo of this. He said, I was just knocked out with the sound and the energy of Born to Run. It made me just want to do that track, and I just wanted to sing it. So I went to the studio, recorded it. I was very, very pleased with the outcome. I took it to the record company, EMI, who said, hey, great, good job. And then they sat on it. It was ready to be released as a single, but then they went on strike. So we could have had another Blinded by the Light type of situation <laughs> for born to run but did not did not happen oh, God. so um this is such a great song wayne i'm gonna throw it to you you know this is a song that no matter how many times i hear it it may it gives me goosebumps and makes the hair on my arms stand up it's it's a, a grand epic anthem where he really like a lot of that really cool word combinations he like you know, go-kart Mozart and stuff he uses on Blinded by the Light. These are total, these are whole phrases that sprung from cages on Highway 9. Like he, beyond the palace of the hemi-powered drone screamed down the boulevard. Like he's, he's just creating diff, a whole new language. And it, every time I hear this song, I, I don't do anything else. Like I stop and listen to it. And I've heard the song a thousand times and it never, it never gets old. Like he, like I say, he creates his, his own language and he, and he, yeah. I, I don't even know how to, to like I say, he's once again, the, 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 the theme is very similar to Thunder Road. It's very similar to night. Um, we're young and we got to get the fuck out of here. This, nothing is here for us. Just trust me. Uh, I mean, this individual in the song doesn't doubt Wendy. I got this, get in the car 
and and we'll make it happen. I, I swear to God. All right. Anyone want to follow that up? I love the way you said that it, he creates his own language in this, because that is that's why I love this song so much. It does the lyrical thing for me that I um, love Springsteen for, but it also it pumps me up. I am ready to go 90 miles an hour. I am ready to scream in the crowd. Yeah. It's got the sax solo. It's got um, a key change and the walk down of the key change that everyone can go like, buh, 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 buh. you know, it's got everything. It's like the perfect, like, listen by yourself and get ready to get through the gosh darn day and the, like, scream at your lungs in the front row energy. It's just, I feel like it's just Springsteen at his best. He's covering all his bases. I wonder what I ranked this. (laughs) (laughs) Rips the bones from your back. Yeah. Like, ah. Yeah. I just... (laughs) Uh, and then, like I say, this is very much, so very much like said. a race. Yeah. Like it, it'll speed up and then it'll slow down in the corner. And then when it gets to that last straightaway and he counts off and then it's go for broke, I'll blow the motor or I'm going to, or I'm going to win this race. Yeah. I've only had the chance to see Bruce once live. And when he did the one, two, three, four chills, man. <laughs> That <laughs> chills. Yeah. Um, it's power. And, and it's I know, so, so powerful. And I know, Tim, that you've seen him way more than, than me. I, you, you, you have been very kind and not rubbing it in on how, how many times you have seen Bruce live. How many have you seen? How many? Uh, 58, but I'm, <gasps> I'm, I'm not, <laughs> not anywhere near the top. I can That's guarantee awesome. you that. Yeah, it's uh, well. It depends. It is awesome for me. <laughs> Apparently, if you're in a relationship with somebody, they don't think it's so cool. <laughs> if you're going somewhere to see Bruce every other weekend, but that's another that's another show. That's that's um, yeah. That's a different for, podcast. For, <laughs> We're not for doing me, relationships. I, <laughs> I love the arc of you know. If we think back to Rosalita, for example, and what Bruce's persuasion rap is on that song it's i'm gonna be the king of the world this you know either come along or don't i could care less but i'm gonna be everything um you know i just got a new record contract and i don't care what your dad thinks come with me and then you get to thunder road where okay it's just a dirty hood and this is all i have to offer you those are all eyes right there he's talking about i and me and what i'm gonna do on born to run suddenly this is a we this is a together. We're going to, Wendy, come on. I got you. You got me. I don't know what's going to happen when we leave here, but I know that we're going to do it together. And I, that's just a huge, to me, you know, developmental change in his outlook as a songwriter and, and where things are going in, in his perspective. So I thought that was really cool. Um, all the things you guys say about how it builds up and grabs you are absolutely spot on. I think it's very interesting from a historical perspective that, uh, this is the only song that David Sanchez, the original piano player from the band, plays on. Uh, and Ernest Boom Carter uh, played drums. There's a fascinating quote when, when someone asked Ernest Carter what he thinks when he hears Born to Run. He says, I think about going out in traffic and throwing myself in front of a bus because he quit right after they recorded <laughs> Born to Run and is not on the rest of the record and left the band. So, um, I mean, it was a big ask. Yeah, <laughs> quite a song for him. Yeah. 
So six months of uh, recording Born to Run, and then he said, I'm not going to do this times seven more songs, so I'll see you later. Okay, real and question, I, don't know what I was doing. trying to find the answer to this today, because this is just the phrase Born to Run is like just in the world, in my life. Did he, I mean, did he make that up? Was that in like our colloquial world before he said it? He it thinks wasn't. that he saw it on a bumper sticker somewhere or a movie poster or something, like, but he born doesn't. Born to be wild, but I'm like, no, I was just like, yeah. did he freaking just make that up? Because I just have, it's just always been a part of my world. And to just yeah. find three words that can sum up an entire album and inspire, you know, thousands of people in the stadium, it's just pretty incredible. And inspire yeah. stuff like Forrest Gump. Yeah, just in, in, change basically <laughs> change a culture. <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah. yeah, absolutely. All right, um, Caroline, your score. Uh, eight. Wayne. Yeah, I'm. I'm a. I'm a closet romantic. This is my eight. <laughs> All right, this is my seven. Tim. Six. All right. Leads us to she's the one. Tenth Avenue freeze out. Um, all right, so MVP. Do we give it to the big man or do we give it to Gary again? Because that baseline <laughs> is so good on this. Or do we give it to Roy for the keys on this? Mm. I think we give it to Roy. Uh, okay, that's my opinion. <laughs> I I have the highest score out of all of us, um, so I gave this a six. Uh, this is just a song that I, over the years has grown on me to the point where it's like, if I hear born to run, I better hear she's the one right afterwards. Like if I hear it on classic rock station, I'm tempted to go home and just put on the the record so that I can hear she's the one right after it. So, um, well, my problem is every time it starts, I feel like I'm about to hear John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band do. You know what? Uh, Just don't on let, the dark side. Don't let that. They, I can't don't help let it. That taint I you. can't. Don't let I that can't help you. it. I did. I would have thought that you did. got it out of your system after we did that Brian Dunn episode, but no, <laughs> no. you didn't. Okay. No, he knocked this off. And, yeah, oh, for sure. That, I can't. Okay. And it, and I think. It they continuing to do it through the the majority of the the first part of the song. Uh, also, like I say, I don't think it lives up to lyrically to "Born to Run" um, or "Thunder Road," but yeah, that that ripped off piano riff by well, John Cafferty and I the Beaver Brown Band. I think your opinion band. is on the dark side, Wayne. Eddie and the Cruisers. <laughs> Eddie and the Cruisers stole this song. <laughs> they did. They stole the opener of it, at least. They did, absolutely. All right, you guys have anything on She's the One? Uh, you know, to me, 
It reminds me of like the Romeo and Juliet soliloquy thing. It, when you read through the lyrics, it even hits closer to home. This is a guy looking at somewhere, this object of his uh, affection. And she's this and she's that, you know, uh, it is my lady. Oh, it is my love. Only Romeo wants to be with Juliet. This protagonist is not necessarily sure you know i why is she doing that she knows that it kills me she's taunting me she's leading me on meanwhile the the uh the music behind and the arrangement continues to build again this it, it would be fascinating i think to listen to the record just with the uh the, the arrangement underneath it sometimes to see if uh what what story is told just musically because i it's it's all a pretty powerful collection like isolated tracks. Yeah, I think that would be interesting to to give a run through. But Roy Bitten, you know, he does he deserves a lot here. The intro doesn't yeah. tell you where you're going at all. It's uh, the transition really on the record, and then the Bo Diddley beat comes in, and we're we're off. You know, to hear all about yeah. this woman that Bruce may or may not yeah, <laughs> want to be with. Yeah, this is like bar band Bruce. You can hear the early days in this song, and I think that's why. I don't mind it, but it doesn't move me because it does. You can hear the derision in it. Um, it's not his best, but it's not his worst. But yeah, it's all. It's more Bo Diddley or Buddy Holly or something like that. Um, Jerry Lee Bruce, Lewis. It yeah. is that jumping up and down on the piano through the. It's more yeah, them the than Bruce Springsteen in yeah. my uh, read of it. Yeah. I love it. I I mean, I also highlighted because French cream won't soften them boots and French kisses will not break that hard. <laughs> I don't, and what is French cream? Who I don't cares? even care. <laughs> Remember, he'd never. Ambiguous stuff, you yeah. know? We're, we're using it on boots. He uses French three times in the well, same, uh, like like in the he, same verse. So. He substitutes yeah. that for like fancy. He's like, oh, it smells good. It must be French. Or it's like, it must be really nice because she's really beautiful. So it's French, right? Like it's it's like a young man's like lens of this like person he's really impressed with. So every And think like, of the perspective yeah. from in yeah. your, when you're sitting in Freehold, New Jersey, that's probably exactly what it was. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but it must be French. Might as it well smells be good. French because it's not from here. Yeah. You rub it on your boots. And <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you that. Love it. All right. Uh, like I said, this is my six. Tim, what's your score? Two. All right. Wayne? Uh, this is also my two. All right. Caroline? Three. All right. Meeting Across the River, second to last song. Gotta make it through the tunnel. Gotta meet with a man on the other side. And any the sky, he's the Come along, you gotta promise you won't say anything. Cause this guy don't dance. And the word's been passed since I last chance. Wayne, I thought this was gonna score higher. This seems like a just because I like the sopranos? Yes. <laughs> uh, no. But what happens here is, and I only listened to this song maybe twice, because the first time through, I already knew it was my my least favorite song. He's okay. half singing a conversation, but it's a one-sided conversation where he left out key details in Thunder Road to kind of get me not to focus on one thing. I, how did he cross the mob? Who? Why are they after him? What is he? Why are you pawning radios? How much can you really get for that? Uh, and it it just never, it's it's 
boring and it doesn't go anywhere. And, and it really, you know what I'd like to believe in my heart? I believe that this is the inspiration for Atlantic City, which is one million times better than this song. I, I have no, yeah, I have nothing to add for that. <laughs> wow. Atlantic City may be my favorite Bruce song of all time. It's amazing. Yeah. I keep meaning to ask for all of these episodes when we do these these really heavy, heavy albums, is your favorite Bruce song on this record? Tim, is your favorite Bruce song on this record? Uh, boy, I was not prepared for class on that one. Don't make me pick. Okay. Uh, my, my favorite Bruce song at one time or another is, is definitely from this record. Okay. But it's it's tough to pick one. It's tough to pick one. I, I've had three favorite records on this song in the last two weeks. I mean, uh, three favorite songs on this record in the last in the last couple of weeks. So it's it's very changeable and situational for me. Okay, Caroline, how about you? It's not, but I like you know. I think if I was maybe really honest with myself, I would say "Born to Run" is like in my top three. But I I don't know. I'm kind of an underdog. <laughs> I'm a B side gal. But um, yeah, I don't know. There's so much what I love about this, but we did Tunnel of Love for a reason on the other episodes. So. Uh, <laughs> all, all good. All right. So uh, this song, I mean, for me, I'm with you guys in a lot of ways. You know, it was originally called The Heist, and you can see why. I think Wayne circles in red pen my biggest question. You're, you're so desperate that you're going to hawk a radio? Real, that's it? That's all you got. Um, so that to me, it just drives home again, desperation and the need to escape and do anything. And not only that, nobody even thinks I can do anything. You know, I, I'm so I hate to use the word pathetic, but I think that that's what he's after here. This is this is desperation time. And I'm going to show you I'm going to go pull this heist. I'm going to do this job. It's going to be much bigger than the radio hawking. <laughs> and I'm going to throw two grand on the bed. That's how much better it's going to be. It's going to be $2,000. Not and, if Eddie doesn't show up with a car. <laughs> right, right. But I think it's the most important uh, role for this song is to be the setup yes. for the next yes. song. And I think it's that's the purpose on the record. Yeah. I would agree. I think my my bottom two songs, I feel like, are they are such integral parts of the record as a structure, but as standalone songs, I am never going to seek them out. And this is one of those where I'm like, on its own, it feels a little too, I mean, almost like operatic or like it's like musical theater in the way that, I don't know, just in this delivery, it doesn't give me what I, I love. And um yeah, I think you're absolutely right in that Jungle Land wouldn't hit as hard without the setup from the story and the energy, but it just as a standalone piece, it doesn't do it for me. Yeah, I can I can almost see the thematic thing. You can almost do the finger snaps to go along with it. You know, yeah. Like a, <laughs> yeah, I didn't when I was story. like I just can't get through the song on its own. I mean, I can when it's playing on a vinyl record, but in the car today when I was trying to decide, I was like, I don't need to listen to this right now. Yes, I already <laughs> know this is bottom. Yeah, it's going to bum me out. Together, it kind of makes the statement that be careful what you wish for, because if the heist is successful, it leads to jungle land. Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah. All, right. All right, so scores. This is my two. Wayne? 
I hate bad gangsters. This is my least favorite. Okay. Caroline. Two. And Tim. Number one. All right. Let's wrap this up. Here's Jungle Land. Over nine minutes? Nine and a half, I think. Nine and a half? Yep. Yeah. So I'm going to defer it over to you guys because the only notes that I have here are two words, big man. That's all yeah. That's all the notes I've got. I mean, the outro of this song is part of why I love it. When Bruce yeah. shuts up actually is one of the best parts. And when Bruce is singing, <laughs> that's the other good part. But the Clarence outro is just, yeah, I feel like, you know, he has his moments on the whole album, but this, the outro of this song really cements him as like a like integral part of the, you know, fabric of the E Street Band. Like this outro is just absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. And Clarence definitely needed to stay on the sax. Um, I was listening to an 80s playlist on a road trip this weekend and... Um, your friend of mine came on and my wife is like, who is singing this? And I'm like, yeah, that's Jackson Brown <laughs> and Clarence Clemens. Um, yeah, not, not good. So, so stay on, stay on the sax, Clarence. Um, what, what, what do you got, Wayne? I want to hear your, your, your take on this. Well, um, I think when the violin starts, you know something special is going to happen. I think this is a is a, an incredible way to close this. But all of those those specifics that he left out of Thunder Road, he makes sure to put them in here. You don't get a nickname, the Magic Rat, if you're a good guy. Um, <laughs> there, there's many references to uh, Jersey and uh, New York City. I mean, Barefoot Girl, how much more innocent can you get than that? So he's... He's now this is the time to do that. And he absolutely works them in. Um, and it creates all this dark, dangerous imagery that is that isn't in 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 Thunder Road. But ap this could absolutely be the same story. There's nothing to prevent that from happening. Um, the sax solo, it it's as good as anyone that's ever been. And this is where I'm going to get hated on because this song doesn't have to be nine and a half minutes long. The sax solo is over because at four minutes, I know that this song shouldn't be done. I, but it's lopsided. He gets three quarters of the song done in four minutes. It takes him five and a half minutes to <laughs> give me the grand finale. And I'm not saying that it should be a lot shorter, but that's, that sax solo isn't... It doesn't vary a lot. It could be... If you trimmed, let's just say... 45 seconds off of it it would still be a minute 15 and if you it takes him once the sax solo ends it takes him a minute of clanking piano to start to talk again to tell me True. what's happened the magic rats final act 
which is un- it's great and it has to be there. But I'm telling you, I could shave an easy two minutes off of this, turn this into a seven and a half minute song I wanna, and not lose anything. I want to thank you for um, helping me justify my three because <laughs> that was exactly the argument that I had. I love this song. However, it is too long. Um, yeah, but... I totally We have it. to know what happens to the magic rat. I think, we, we need yeah. that last part. Literally for any other artist that would feel that way, I think I've just been drinking the juice, the Kool-Aid for so long. I'm just like, <laughs> put the saxophone in my veins, but only if it's Clarence Clemens. <laughs> yeah. No one else will I be that patient with. Yeah, I get it. All right, Tim. Um, you, you've, yeah. you've been quiet. You have the highest score out of all, all of us for this. One. Well, this is the definition of, of epic grandeur to me. This is, again, Bruce trying to be and succeeding, in my opinion, you know, epic beyond epic, putting everything in there. This song took 16 months to write and record all the parts. This is a case where they, the, the night before they're going on the Born to Run tour, leaving to go do the first show, Bruce is singing that saxophone solo to Clarence, saying this is how it goes, singing each note to him and having Clarence record it the, the day before they're going on tour. So right until the last minute, he was trying to, to make that perfect in his mind. It's his last chance to impact the record. So... You know, I love that. I love the different voices that are, are added. Backstreets and Jungleland are the reason why I wanted to learn to play the piano 20 years ago. I'm still learning to play the piano, but you know, when you by the way, as an aside, when you tell your music teacher this this is why I want to play the piano and you say <laughs> Backstreets and Jungleland, she's like, "Okay, let's start with uh, you know, a couple of chords and we'll we'll see where you can go." But uh, hey, we need goals. That's still one of mine. To me, this is the this is the bad news, though. You, you notice that Bruce shifts from this is the only song where he is an outside narrator on the entire record. Every other song is about the protagonist or the the couple, the I or the we. This is the first one where he's going to tell you the story of the magic rat and what could happen. So this is the to me the God's eye view of careful what you wish for. You can go out on Thunder Road. It may end up on Jungle Land, just like this record does. Love it. Love it. All right. If you're born to run. Yeah. The optimism of those two songs, because there is optimism in Thunder Road and Born to Run. And it is, it is not, does not, there's no optimism in Jungle Land. No. No. And no one even cares. That's, that's the final thing that he has to share with you. If you came from nothing and you think no one cares about you in Freehold, wait till you get gunned down on a street, a side street in New York City. No one's even going to notice when the ambulance pulls away. Yeah, how great is the and the poets down here don't write nothing at all. They just stand back and let it all and let it all be. Mm. This shit writes itself. We don't we don't need to. That's right. They can't be bothered to to write it. It's insignificant. Yeah. All right. Any last thoughts on Jungle Land? All right. I already told you this is my three, and I feel bad about it. Uh, Wayne, your score. <laughs> this is my five. Like I say, I know he could cut two minutes off it if he really, really wanted to, but it's still an epic grand ending to a fantastic yeah, album for sure caroline i also my five okay tim seven okay i always i always end all of our track by tracks with the um did we cover it 
Did we miss anything? The one thing that I'll bring up just quickly is that um, that Jungle Land being so long like that was also the inspiration for Bob Seger to get off the dime on night moves. I don't know if you saw that in your research or not, but he had that song half written and listened to Jungle Land and said, oh, you can do two bridges in one song. That's pretty cool. I'm going to do that. He incorporated that in night moves, and that's why we have that song today. So the reach is wide. Well, spoiler alert, when we talk about the our favorite records of 1976, guess what was my number one? It was Night Moves. Well, look at look at me doing the segue for you. I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Make <laughs> you want to throw that in? and Oh, it's too late. Yeah. In your hot tub time machine, when you jump in there, go back and talk about the double bridge and Night Moves. All good. All good. All right. Um, any guesses on number one? What do you guys think? Thunder Road. You're both right. (laughs) We had a a tie for first. So Born to Run and Thunder Road. Average score is 7.25. Third, Backstreets. Average score of 5.25. And um, Jungle Land is our fourth. Average score of 5. With 10th Avenue Freeze Out, a 5. And we just lost Caroline. <laughs> Bummer. Okay. We were so close. What was fifth? Fifth was 10th Avenue Freeze Out. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, I mean, let's let's be honest. That's, that's the top five for this record. Um, even though I love She's the One. Um really that's that's your top five so those are actually my top five songs yeah so what are the bottom three night she's the one in meeting yep okay yep yep Yep. absolutely right that was it that was it all right well let's let's wrap this up unfortunately um caroline's not here we'll 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 give her the go on without her we we're in for the long haul yeah hearts will go on um you can find caroline at caroline spence music.com um and of course uh go check out all of her great music she did do a couple singles last year in 2020 uh including a uh, a really great version of jimmy Eat world's the middle so good stuff oh, wow. all right uh tim tim tell us tell us where uh People can find out more about uh, We Rock Cancer. We're on all the socials at We Rock Cancer, and you can get more info on our October 2nd event on our website, werockcancer.org. Love to have you come rock cancer with us. You know, I, 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 I'm grateful for our, our, our patrons. Um, if, you, if you all who are listening, if uh, you want to be like Tim and, and join us for an episode, it's really easy. You just go to patreon.com slash records revisited podcast. Uh, join at the guest revisitor level. You can join us on an episode to talk about one of your favorite records. Maybe not one as daunting as Born to Run, but um, we do have some great ones coming up. We've got uh, Gaslight Anthem. We've got Ray LaMontagne. We've got a Pixies record, um, all, all from our patrons. 
Um, so uh, you guys are you guys are knocking it out of the park as far as uh, uh, album choices. So awesome, awesome, good stuff. All right, so this is uh, this is the outro part. So thanks for listening. Please go support the arts. Go to a live show. Make sure you buy a T-shirt of the band. Buy a record. Visit a record store, and not just on Record Store Day. We are Records Revisited, and we are out in the street. I'll be waiting for you.